Anything combat with Johnny K. Well, it's anything combat, though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat Show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by a special guest, undefeated in the UFC 3-0, and zero, has only absorbed 23 strikes in his whole uh, UFC career, is a uh, Dana White Contender Series veteran. He's a veteran of this show. His first episode was episode two of the Anything Combat Show. Today is episode 81. This is round two with Mike Malott. How are you doing, Mike? Doing great, man. How are you doing? Good. How are you feeling that uh, you got the call to fight in Canada? I love it, man. This is exactly what I wanted to be doing. You know, I got spoiled last time out in Vancouver, and, uh, you know, I want that same energy. Like, ideally, I'm fighting the rest of my career on Canadian shows, but, you know, never know what the future holds. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm pumped to, to be fighting back home again. When you were on the show last, we were discussing what opponent you wanted, and I kept on hounding you. I said, what if they give you a top 15? And you were like, that might be too early, or or maybe the UFC doesn't want to push me like that. And I said, I said like, maybe if they do it, like I'm confident that you'll get it done. When I saw the match with Neil Magny and the fact that he's got the most welterweight wins in history, this is a massive name massive step up in competition for you and i was thinking let's fucking do this bro let's get it done <laughs> hell yeah man um yeah i definitely didn't think it was too early or anything like that i just didn't think the ufc would push for a top 15 fighter right off the bat i thought i'd probably have to do one more so man getting getting my top 15 spot after this one is like is amazing that's it's quicker than i thought it was going to be so i'm ready for it like i i Super confident in my skills. I love this matchup. I think I'm better than him everywhere. I'm ready to be in the top 15. Like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely ready to start getting myself on that ladder and making a real run. How have you been since uh, your win over Fugit? Have you? It's been a while since you've kind of fought. So what's training been like? And how long have you known for this um, match? How how long did you know that they uh, gave this to you? Probably found out about a month ago about this fight, something like that. Um, I've just been in the gym since, man. I had, uh, you know, um, just a couple little hiccups here, like little minor injury things over the summer. Uh, it slowed me down for a little bit, but otherwise, like I've been in the gym since the Fugit fight and uh, I've been making some serious strides in the right direction, just like getting, you know, teammates ready for fights and getting lots of rounds in. Um, so I feel like I'm already a month deep into camp. Like it's been, it's training's been great so far. I already feel like I'm fight ready and we've still got 67 days to go, nine and a half weeks. So feeling great. Yeah. In, in preparation for the podcast today, I watched like all of your UFC fights, like mm. I rewatched all of them and I rewatched Neil Magny's last three four fights where he won and uh some fights where he lost like the rachmanov fight and i was just mm -hmm. picking out little tidbits to tell you just i know you've already looked over them but i wanted to run through them i've got a whole bunch of good stuff so let's nice. just firstly start off with the length and the long range uh striking component of the fight so when i was looking into your fights the fighter that you could kind of um, make reference to that was similar was kind of Shimon Smatrisky, who is a friend of the show as well, right? Mm. He 
he has a different style than Neil, but mm-hmm. he's probably the closest body shape to Neil that you fought. So is this true? Have you fought anyone taller or longer? And will this, will, how do you feel the length component will uh, go into the fight with you and Neil? So he's definitely a long body type. It's funny. I, I feel like people bring up his height, obviously the reach as well, but the height a lot. Like, oh man, this guy's 6'3". Like, what are you going to do? I'm like, dude, I'm 6'1". Like, if we were 5'7 and 5'9", nobody would be bringing up this guy's height at all. Like, he's two inches taller than me. It's not like this guy's like 6'11". Um, uh, the reach is more dramatic. The reach advantage is, is uh, much more dramatic than the height advantage. Um, but if you look at my fights with the company, including contender series everyone i fought has been my height or taller and has had a reach advantage on me in my uh, in my career so far and i'd be willing to bet everyone was heavier than me fight night as well so uh i've i've been at a reach deficit against everyone i've fought in the ufc and like you said i've only absorbed 23 strikes in those four fights combined so like what's that five and a half basically strikes average per per fight I've been able to deal with it so far. I, I don't see it being any different in this fight. So what the hell is that? What what are you doing that's different? You're not getting hit with long-range uh, people's weapons. These are, these are high-level MMA fighters, and they're not hitting you, and they've got the reach and the weight cut over you. So is it because do you not cut more weight like is it because you feel fresh in there that you that you can think better and all the rest or like what are you doing in particular without revealing too much i think that may play a very slight factor but i think it comes down to the preparation the training that i've been doing the style of training that i do you know i feel like i'm i'm very thoughtful in my training and i feel like i both a take it seriously when I'm there, like the actual physical training that has to be done, but also the technical and tactical side of training. I feel like I put a lot of time and energy into that. I think a lot of guys go into the gym and they sweat a lot and they bang it out with the guys and they get hit and they give shots and they high five their boys after and like, yeah, that was awesome, man. We both sweated so hard. I'm like, that's awesome, man. You should be sweating. You should be breathing heavy, but I think you need to be thinking about this game in a little bit more, in-depth way um based on how i see like most guys fighting when i looked at your topology i saw that they've listed you as number 40 at welterweight of um currently in the welterweight picture in international mma fighters and they've Mm -hmm. listed neil at 13 Mm -hmm. so for you to get this win you're getting an opportunity that a lot of the welterweight contenders that are on the come up are actually not getting. So how do you feel about getting into the top 13, like after you, after you win? And how do you feel about the company really respecting you as a fighter, wanting to push you when other people didn't get the same opportunity? I love that the UFC's believing in me in this way. Like that clearly shows that they want me to, to, you know, win this fight. This is in Toronto. I'm fighting a ranked opponent. Like, they want to push me. I think they want some Canadian talent to really start breaking through, and I'm going to lead that charge, and we're going to have a lot of guys on the come up in the next few years that either people don't know right now or or current guys that are on their way up start breaking into the rankings, so uh, as far as Canadians go. But uh, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a huge opportunity. I'm super pumped. You know, I, I could have fought a ton of tough guys outside of the rankings and been happy with that, but I, I get a guy who's who's ranked. I mean, this this means a lot to me. This is my opportunity to get on the ladder. I'll be ranked, as you said, number 13 after this fight. And from there, we can, you know, you, you've got a hand on that ladder. You've got your number 13 rung. We can start our climb from there, right? Like before you get on the ladder, before you get on that top 15 ladder, it's just kind of like, all right, fight a bunch of top tough guys. Hopefully you get some good fights. Hopefully you make some money. Hopefully you get noticed and hopefully you get that opportunity to come up. So it's kind of like, you know, you just kind of swim around until you can latch onto something and then you're, you know, latch onto a number and you can start your climb, right? Let's talk about that Ian Gary fight that Neil Magny just had. So the biggest concern with Neil's striking game in that fight was the fact that he couldn't get the clinch game going with Ian. And when he Mm -hmm. did, Ian did a good job to disengage. And then Mm -hmm. when they were striking at long range, which you will be in because of his range, the calf kicks were open, man. I don't know if it Mm -hmm. was the fact that Neil had a bad night or if it was the fact that Ian's that good. I'm going to put it on the fact that Ian's that good at striking, that mm-hmm. he exploited the fact that he had a lack of uh, calf kick and leg kick defense. And this was the second thing that I really looked into. And I don't know, I haven't looked at your leg range or whatever, but are you are you thinking this is probably the best thing to do with him, seeing that in his previous fight, it didn't look too good with his calf kicking defense? He's certainly shown a struggle with dealing with low kicks in the past. He took that fight on like nine days notice or something like that. So I'm going to assume that he'll come in more prepared for my fight. I'm going to assume that he'll have addressed low kicks quite extensively. You know, after that last fight, I'm assuming he'll put some work into that. So I'm not thinking it will be as big a hole as it was against uh ian gary but of course that's you know something to keep in mind you know that that's a a potential avenue for uh taking over this fight when i saw his previous opponents the two other things that pointed out to me were the fact that the way you beat him is there's two avenues. The first avenue is you need to have really good grappling. That's where Gilbert Burns came in. He just kind of just ran through him. And the second avenue is not engaging in the clinch and not getting subbed and just standing, right? So um, where I was going with this was the fact that um, the BJJ component of the fight, a lot of your fights... Yeah, man, the the clinching of Neil is a really important aspect of his game, and that's where he just dominates these fighters that just can't get out of the clinch. But what I'm saying is when he gets into the clinch, he either pulls guard or gets the takedown to get into those jujitsu exchanges. And with your fight, we ha- I haven't seen enough tape with you because, as we know, Neil's had heaps of fights. There's so much tape on him to look into to exactly what he does and how he does it well. So with you, we've seen your sub game, but we haven't seen you go up against a high level jujitsu practitioner. And as we know, Neil Magny trains with coach Steve Hordinsky, the third, and that he's a, he's a absolute crazy black belt that trained under 
Elson Gracie, and then now Steve's training Neil, training Basil Javez, who's also in your division. So this this jiu-jitsu component, I haven't seen enough tape to really get a definitive answer to whether who's gonna who's gonna cancel it out or who will have the advantage. So what insights do you have for your BJJ game, specifically the no gi in in MMA, that you can tell me? about Neil's style that you can uh, negate or, or, you know, um, do your offense against? I'm just going to keep the response really quick. Uh, you asked who's going to have the advantage in the BJJ for MMA. I will, big time. <laughs> sure. Um, I respect that. I respect the confidence, you know what I mean? So... Also, when I was looking into the other fights, I saw the Philip Rowe fight, and I also saw the Shavkat Rachmanov fight. And in these, they chose to do the short-range power punching, like hooking, um, throwing hooks in the short range against Neil. And because his arms are so long, his guard is not the best to defending these. So when I saw when I saw these fights, even though Philip Rowe in my opinion, he's not the best fighter. This is out of respect, not 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 disrespectfully. He's not the best fighter in the division, yet he still had heaps of success against Neil in that component where he just got straight in his face and just threw hooks, similar to you versus uh, Mickey Gold. So I think this would probably be the aspect of the fight. I've been um, pretty critical so far. I think this would be the aspect of the fight where you could probably dominate. So is this what you're seeking to exploit? That's definitely an avenue. I mean, I think Philip Rowe's a pretty solid fighter. He's got solid boxing. Um, good prospect for sure. Um, I think with Magni, yeah, I mean, he's he's got an 80-inch reach, right? So with this guy, he's got an 80-inch reach. You kind of have to get on the inside of this guy as far as like punching is concerned it's going to be hard to match straight punch for straight punch with him if you're if you're staying online um so there are a couple of ways to get around that but yeah man i i honestly not to not to disrespect him but like i feel like i keep saying this with all the guys i fight but then i go out there and i do what i've done so i I've, like i feel like it's it's pretty valid like i'm very confident i have this guy covered everywhere so when you say like, oh, well, who's going to have the advantage on the ground? It's like, I definitely am. Like, who's going to have the advantage in the wrestling? I'm definitely going to have the advantage in the wrestling. Who's going to have the advantage in the striking? I'm definitely going to have the advantage in the striking. Who's going to have the power advantage? I'm fucking definitely going to have the power advantage. Like, I feel like, I feel like there's a ton of, like, for sure the guy's got a ton of experience. And I think that's the biggest thing that he brings to this fight. But as far as like, who brings more weapons and more advantages to this fight, I think it's like a blowout in my favor. That's a really interesting thing to say because when I'm betting on the fights, um, Mike, I always, I'm always unbiased. I never pick who I actually want to win. I always do my research and then I place my bets. And bro, I'm telling you right now, the previous UFC event, I got, I got Pereira KO, I got Saint Benoit Denise, I got Diego Lopez underdog. I picked a whole bunch of underdogs actually, and. And I'm always getting this shit right. And when I looked into the fight with you and Neil, I'm actually struggling out here for who's going to win, right? I will never lie to you, bro. And and now, like, 
after looking more in depthly to it, it kind of just seems like maybe I'm just fucking overthinking it and that and that you're just gonna you're just on the rise. You know what I mean? Maybe I've just gotta maybe I'm just overlooking it. What do you think? Yeah, you're definitely overthinking it and overlooking it. I mean to to be fair, the guy's fought a lot of good guys and he's had a lot of fights in the UFCs. You know, there's a lot of experience there and uh, he, he looks like he's got a decent MMA IQ and he's certainly tough and he can push a pace. Like he's got some things he's really good at. Like guy's been ranked in the top 10 and top 15 for how long? Like for a reason. It wasn't, it wasn't a fluke. He wasn't given easy fights to get there and you know, it wasn't gifted to him. He earned those spots and he maintained those spots. I just, you know, you, you don't see a lot of footage from me. I, I, a, don't have that many fights in the UFC. I've had three-plus contender series, and then those fights have been relatively short, right? So I understand what you're saying. Like, I don't know if I've seen enough to, to make that call, but there's a reason you haven't seen enough. Like, there's a reason my fights haven't been long enough. Like, you know, it would almost be easier if I went to decision on contender series and went to decision three more times. And you're like, okay, we've seen you fight 15 minutes four times. We've seen an hour of fight footage out of you. Like, we can make a more you know, uh, we can make a more accurate call and we know what we're getting ourselves into with, with me. I feel like there is like a little bit of that still like, you know, we're seeing bright things, but we don't know really what this guy is all about yet. Um, and I kind of like that. I kind of like that. There's still like a little bit of mystique around my fight style because I finished guys fairly quickly. And like, I, like you said, I haven't been hit very often, haven't been hit very much. And, uh, I haven't shown a lot of my game yet. You know, I think when it comes to Neil Magny, we've seen almost everything this guy's going to do. You know, I'd be ignorant to say that he's not learning and I expect him to tighten up some of the things that we've seen to be holes in the past. However, when you've got a, the most wins in UFC history and B the most, I think he's got the most decision wins in UFC history. Most, most wins at welterweight and most wins uh, by decision. Like, that's an insane amount of footage. Like, we know what this guy's going to look like for the most part. We we have a pretty good idea of what this guy's going to do and, and what his weapons are going to be and where he's comfortable. And, you know, you don't really know that with me yet. It's like, well, what happens to Mike when listed? ABC happens. Like, you guys don't know yet because I haven't had to show it. It's, I, I'm not... Uh, I feel extremely confident in the in the questions that like a lot of people have about me. I'm like, look, I haven't just like the stuff I've I've done. That's not the only stuff I can do. I have a ton more stuff that that uh, I'm I'm quite good at, and I feel very confident doing in fights. But uh, I just haven't had to use yet. I've only used the tools that I felt were necessary to do the job. Right? You don't you don't use a hammer when a drill will do just fine. Right? Like it's um, if if I can get away with you know if I can get the win with using a couple simple tools, which I kind of have in all my fights, I'm just going to do that. Like, I'm not going to overthink this. I'm not going to be like, this is everything I know. Let me throw it at a guy. Let me like try and display everything I know. I'm like, no, man, like I've brought some weapons to this fight and I think these are the ones that are going to work. And then I'll go down the list of things. And, you know, I think it's, uh, I think uh, I'm in a spot where I know what he's going to do and he doesn't really know what I'm going to do. Um, so that's a definite advantage in my mind. I'm going to give you a tough question. So what's it going to take 
for you to get in that dogfight where we see you actually have some really, really big adversity and it takes the full 15 or the full 25. What's it going to take? What type of fighter? Do we need another Mike Malott or do we need some fighter like like a Shavkat or like a JDM that's just a tough dog that's really defensively sound? Well, not Shavkat, but, you know, just a really tough dog that will make it into a dog fight that, that you can like, they can actually finally run after you like what do you think it's gonna finally take well first off it's gonna take somebody who can survive right like no one's been able to no one's been able to survive like that's not me talking shit that's just like i finished all my fights right like that's that's i, I finished all my fights so you know it's it's gonna take somebody who can can take it right like um you know there's almost like laugh in my my last fight my last pre-fight interview, my opponent Fugit kept saying like, we don't know what this guy looks like in deep waters. I'm going to take him to deep waters and drown him. I'm like, the reason I haven't been to deep waters isn't because I can't handle it. It's because other guys can't handle the shallow waters, dude. Like they can't handle it early. So like I get to go home early. Like that's not because I can't handle later. I can handle later too. I just haven't had to show it yet. So, that's a really interesting thing. Let's talk about that with uh, Chamayev's last performance. So we saw him in uh, the shallow water with with Usman, and mm-hmm. dude, he looked great. He really did against mm-hmm. a six-time world champion, fifteen um, uh, fight win streak. Usman, you know, he's still a beast. So he looked great in the first round, and then, dude, he withered away in the second and third. So watching that, what was your what was your reaction? to that did you just think oh Usman's a veteran and um look what he did he 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 held in there and then he had really good striking and just outstruck him or do you think that um Chamayev's kind of a little bit too overhyped no I definitely don't think he's overhyped I think he's world class you don't like hype doesn't beat Kamara Usman right like you you have to be world class to beat Kamara Usman um I think that was, you know, Kamaru Usman's toughness, his ability to to battle back and believe in himself and dig deep. The man's a champion, so uh, you know I think a lot of it had to do with him. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you, you never know. Like it, there was the last minute opponent change. There's all sorts of factors. So maybe Shmaev just wanted to get him out of there and thought he could. And then when that didn't happen, started fading a little bit. You also heard that he might have broken his hand or his wrist, so that could have played a factor. Like, there's lots of different factors into that. What's your formal prediction for Neil? Do we get him with a left high kick? Do we get him with a liver shot? Do we get him with a guillotine choke? What exactly do you think, and what round? Go for it, because I know you're talking about Mystic Mac predictions, and it wasn't the fact that, oh, we make a prediction and we'll just see what happens. We set out a game plan, we say what it is, and then you complete it, and then it looks like a prediction. Mm-hmm. I honestly, yeah, I, I believe in that as well, but honestly, I don't care about the round. You know, first round stoppages are always great, but I don't mind 
Like I'm not trying to get out of there. I'm not, a, I'm not a first round fighter because I'm panicking. You see some guys that are first round fighters because they get in there, they're nervous and they sprint at guys and they're desperately trying to get out of there. So they catch guys. I feel like uh, you see a lot of those guys on contender series and they come in, they've like blown through everybody. They're seven and oh, maybe they get that knockout on contender series and then they get to the UFC and you see them against like legitimate vets and guys who've been there and against guys who like don't panic and can stay composed it's uh it's uh i'm not that kind of guy I'm, I'm i'm a guy who can just find the openings right like that's kind of what i do it's not that i like force openings i find openings or i create openings so round i'm not concerned with man if it goes 15 seconds or 15 minutes i'm i'm prepared for both but i'm getting that stoppage i'm getting it whether it's by strike or by strangle i don't care but i'm getting that win I'm going to bring up the welterweight title picture for you because it's a really interesting match. you got Colby versus Leon. When looking into this fight, uh, I saw that Leon has this weird mental game. I know everybody keeps on talking about how skillful he is because he's very well-rounded, but one thing that people are not really looking into is the fact that he's kind of he's got this weird mental pressure against him. In the Nate Diaz fight in the fifth, he kind of just was like, oh, I, you know, I can't be fucked being here. I'm bored, so I'm just going to take the round off, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that's – okay, that's one example. In the Leon Kamaru fight, the second one, when he won via head kick, he was losing that fight because he kind of just stopped wrestling with Kamaru. He felt, like, dejected. He said he couldn't get his head in the game. So this is a big concern. If it's happening twice now – like I'm, I'm being serious. If, if, if this is happening twice in, in five round important fights in your career, don't you think someone like Colby, who's a wrestling cardio machine, that is his whole style is made to make you give up? Don't you think that somebody who has sort of given up in the past, don't you think that a prime Colby can kind of exploit that and steal the belt off him? That's a pretty loaded question, buddy. <laughs> but uh it's the truth not, not who do i think is gonna win it's like don't you think colby's gonna fuck up leon edwards don't you if you're not a fucking idiot you think he's gonna win don't you it's like all right buddy okay um look i think uh i think that's definitely a factor to consider right like colby pushes the pace he pressures um that's the weapon he brings to this fight and maybe leon's susceptible to it um yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what the the mental issue is with him. Um, I don't know the guy. Can't really talk on his mental state. He's a skilled fighter for sure. He's uh, dangerous. Got power. He's good with distance control. His wall wrestling's good. Takedown defense is solid. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how the the conditioning and the pressure from Kobe factors into this one. Do you think you train harder when you fight in Canada? No oh, man, I train. I train hard year round. Um, Come on, what are you talking about? If I was fighting in Greece and I'm like, fuck, can't let the Greek population down, I would have to fucking train my ass off. Well, yeah, but I'm not like, well, I'm fighting in Florida, so I can afford to fuck around this camp. Like, I'm, it doesn't matter who's there. Like, at the end of the day, as much I like, I love fighting at home, and it's a huge advantage as far as like, I feel like the crowd helps elevate me. I feel like being in front of my fans and my, my family and friends, like it, it, I get a lot of extra spotlight and, and uh, coverage and stuff like that. But as far as like what's happening in the cage, 
there's three men in the cage and only and one of them's the ref like nothing changes other than that man like i'm taking it super seriously take it just as seriously like if i had to go back and do a fucking amateur fight or fight on a regional circuit right now i'd take it just as seriously because it's like it's still another dude in there like i should be able to you know i should be able to whoop him you know way easier than these guys in the ufc but at the same time it's like a dude's trying to fight me like if i'm gonna go in there and fight a guy i'm gonna be the sharpest i can possibly be i don't care if it's in canada i don't care if it's in connecticut man like i'm gonna be the i'm gonna be the sharpest i can be before the Neil fight got offered to you, you had that layoff. You said that you said that you've been preparing for it for a month, meaning there was a five month window in there where they could have offered you anyone else. Were you offered any other fights that either they got injured or anything fell out? Did anything happen that they offered you anyone else? Uh, no, no. They told me pretty early on that they were like, um, well, first thing, right after the fight, I was like, you know, jokingly, like my my manager needs to lose my phone number for the next two months. I don't even want to think about a fight. Like I've been, you know, I was basically in training camp from like November till June. So I was like, look, I need I need a month or two to kind of chill out. And uh, and then I talked to my manager like a month later, and he's like, so the UFC's asking what you want to do next, and I was like, well, I want to fight in Canada. When's the next one going to be? Thinking it would be in you know, November, December, and they're like, it's going to be in, in January. They're like, you can either fight, you know, probably find something before then, or you can wait till you can wait till January. I was like, I was hoping to fight in November, December, but I'm like, I don't want to take one in October and risk getting hurt and not be able to fight in Toronto. I'm like, I'd rather just wait till Toronto. Canadian MMA is in a really weird situation because of course, we had GSP, and then after that, we had Rory McDonald. But since then, um, I can't really think of top top dudes. I'm talking about like the top of the division that were a Canadian fighter. Now, you might break that trend and get into the title contention, but what do you think about Canadian MMA right now? Like, what would you rank the the health of Canadian MMA? I think it's on an upward trajectory. I think covid really slowed it down for us like obviously covid was tough for a lot of places but canada was really locked down for covid like even when i was preparing for the the mickey gall fight we were having a like train and secret type thing like it was two years into it we were still still dealing with all that kind of bs but uh so i think now it's starting to really swing up i'm I've been to a lot of regional shows lately and i'm seeing like really high level talent on the regional level guys like two three four and oh like first five fights being really solid guys so i think we give it another couple of years and canada and ontario specifically will have a lot more contenders coming up i've been saying that for a while and siri sadi proved me right he's making his ufc debut on this same card absolute killer um aaron jeffrey got signed to bellator absolute beast he's uh been I think he's basically getting a title shot next in, in Bellator's middleweight division. Um, Anthony Romero, another teammate of mine, just burst onto the scene in, in PFL. You know, he uh, he took that fight kind of on short notice and uh, lost his uh, debut, unfortunately. Like, he won on, on Challengers, but he lost his PFL debut to their champion, um, Aubin Mercier. But... Uh, um, 
men like we're already bursting up like a few years ago there weren't many of us in the ufc or in major organizations and now there's like a handful of us and i think that trend's gonna continue when did you meet kyle nelson how uh when was the last time you worked with him kyle nelson i saw kyle this morning at the gym um he's been a buddy of mine since probably 2010 2011 something like that like we met really early on in our careers uh we were both training with Cruellin Helmagen our striking coach and uh just ended up meeting at the gym and yeah I've known the guy ever since so what do you think about the Slava fight with Nazim I know you've been very vocal about how Slava is the best striker that you've ever uh gone with so what do you think about that performance I mean I thought he looked really good getting caught in the second really changed the momentum of the fight but watching the fight from a technical standpoint before he got caught with that nice hook and then, you know, head kick immediately after, you saw, like, a, that's a world-class striker, right? Like, he's an elite-level kickboxer. And uh, Sadikov's a high-level striker in his own right. But other than catching Slava with those, those two shots, it was pretty evident that Slava was the more technical, precise, faster striker. Between the two, it looked like the power was on Sadikov's side. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Proper Mike, for coming on the show. Follow Mike on Instagram, link in the description, and follow Anything Combat on Spotify. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.